Hello, PodRocket listeners. Today, we're bringing you a guest episode with Matt and Mike from HTML All the Things podcast. HTML All the Things covers a variety of topics from the web development, web design, and small business worlds, discussing everything from JavaScript frameworks through how to handle coding interviews. They strive to explain topics in a way that all developers, junior and senior, can easily understand. They have new episodes every single week, so if you enjoy this episode, please consider subscribing to HTML All the Things on your favorite podcast app. Enjoy the episode. When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is episode 198. Full stack development has changed. Wars changed. For any of you Metal Gear fans out there. Uh, but anyway, Mike's going to be talking about some Next.js, some Nux.js, some SvelteKit, uh, and what's changed that way. I'm going to be talking about Top Gun Maverick, because I can't stop talking about it, because it's, f- like, freaking awesome. Um, go see it in IMAX before it disappears. Anyway, this is not a, this is not a sponsor spot. I just <laughs> yeah, really, like just really enjoy spot. the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, go go see Top Gun Maverick in IMAX before you regret it. Anyway, um, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, wait, that sounded like a threat. Better do this before you regret it. Before you regret it, leaving IMAX forever. There you go. It's not a threat anymore, uh, apparently. <laughs> anyway, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you go check us out on that Patreon. Leave a review or rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. And now, Mike, you have uh, some news about full stack development. So please, sir, take it away. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. Thanks. Um, honestly, full stack. It's weird because I've been a full stack developer for a long time. I'm more front end than full stack. Uh, for sure, but I have done a lot of backend work. I have done a lot of integrations into backends. I've built backends from scratch. So I've done a lot of it. But lately, I kind of like today even or even yesterday, I woke up and I was like, this is weird. Like full stack is completely different now. And I want to talk about that aspect because it seems to have happened kind of overnight. And it's obviously not the case. There's obviously a lot of steps that had to happen along the way. But what we have now is drastically different than what we had even like a year or two ago. And that's what I want to talk about. And I wrote this episode in a way because, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't have a ton of experience with like serverless stuff. You don't have a ton of experience with JavaScript frameworks in general. And uh, full, you have some experience with full stack development. I know, you, you know you've you spun up WordPress sites and stuff like that. So you have some idea of the server management stuff, especially you, you, you know, that stuff. Um, but what I wanted, what I wrote this episode as is like an explanation to you about what's changed and how it's really different now, especially the serverless aspect. And uh, so whenever I'm talking and you don't understand something, I think you're going to be a very good indication of the audience. So definitely just interrupt me or let me know. And I'll try to clarify because again, I had kind of you in mind while writing this episode. 
Yeah, I'm definitely more. Um, what would you say? I'm definitely more sysadmin and less like de- backend developer. I guess you mm-hmm. could say definitely because I I can I can build the server even the hardware and I can rack it in the data center and hook it all up and then get it to work. But then you're like, oh, this this runs without a server. I'm like, I don't know how that works. <laughs> I don't know how that works at all. So um, this will be interesting. Yeah. And the big thing is, is like, I'm not that. <laughs> and I really hate sysadmin. And I think that's why I've been driven to serverless so much. Is like, as soon as I heard serverless, I'm like, oh, my God, this is something that I want. Because I like doing backend code, but I hate managing the actual server. And I'll talk about it in depth in a sec, but like that's essentially serverless. Like that explanation that I just gave, having backend work without managing a full server is serverless. But first, before that, let's break down what full stack development actually is, because I know some people out there kind of get confused about where the lines are. We've talked about this before on the podcast, but I just want to do a quick breakdown. So essentially, full stack development is a combination of different technologies working together Primarily a development of like a database where you would store your data, a server that interacts with your database in, in the way of writing and creating and uh, managing and querying it. And the server also talks to your front end in, in ways of APIs or GraphQL or some sort of interface that allows the front end to effectively get the data and send the data that it needs to the database. So it's a little bit of an in-between between a database and a front end. Uh, that's what a server is. And it's also a way for you to do, you know, add some more complex logic that you don't want running on someone's computer every time. So if there's like a mass amount of calculations or if there's transcoding a video that you need to do in the back in the background, that's not stuff you want to do on someone's computer right away. That's something you might want to do in the back end and then store that stuff in a database and allow the back, the front end to, to access that content that's already been transcoded that has the heavy lifting already done on it. Right. So. Again, it's kind of like a it, it's it's a combination combination of technologies that all work together. That really is full stack development, and the idea is a full stack developer should be able to like create a application that uses all three of those technologies. It sounds simple ish when I say it, but in reality, it's actually very complicated because each one of those technologies is its own thing completely. A lot of the times requiring completely different hosting stuff, requiring completely different languages like programming languages, uh, requiring completely different skill sets, really. Like, for instance, database querying, uh, stuff like MySQL and, you know, querying an SQL database is a whole other language separate from JavaScript or PHP or whatever else you would run on the back end or front end. And a lot of the times when people go into full stack development, they kind of treat it as a side language and that turns into a very complicated relationship <laughs> uh, with your database querying. A lot of the times you're querying too much or you're querying too little or you're not getting the right results back and you're just kind of doing a lot more processing than you need to be. So that's where it gets difficult for one person to be able to manage all of these different aspects of a potentially complex application. So that's the breakdown of full stack development. What I want to do now is I want to break down what's changed from this perspective. Because we've gone from what's – I shouldn't say we've gone from it. But what, what's happened is there's this thing called serverless. 
And it still allows for all those things that I said in full stack development, so data, database, server, and front end. But it does it in a way that is much more approachable, I would say, from a front end developer's perspective. This is the lens that I'm wearing because that's who I am. I'm a, more of a front end developer. So for a back end developer, this might not make sense. And this might be something that's actually counterintuitive to them because they, a back end developer, most likely rely more on a mono repo type setup like Laravel or something that actually, you know, packages the front end into the back end. Whereas with serverless, it's like the back end is packaged into the front end. That's a kind of a distinction that I've realized as I was writing the, these show notes is that there is this paradigm in the back end where the front end templating systems are back, are packaged, but the front end has never really had that. And now all of a sudden for front end developers, there's this tool that you can use with serverless functions where you can actually write backend code without having to worry about an actual quote unquote backend. So let's break down what a server actually means though, before we get into serverless. A server means that you need to manage some sort of installations of Linux or Windows or Windows or some sort of application that was running your server code, right? So you would have like a dedicated server or a VPS that's running Linux or some, some version of a server software that can then run like, uh, you know, Apache and then can, and can then run an installation of PHP or can run Node.js or something like that. And then you have to kind of configure it so that all the ports work together so that it works with the firewall, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. Like a lot of the stuff that you do, Matt, like the sysadmin stuff, you configure that box to be able to run whatever programming environment you needed to run, right? Well, I, I have a good example, actually, for mm-hmm. servers. So this isn't actually directly related to websites, but it's a good example to kind of get like a, a big picture view, if you will, is that <clears throat> let's say you use Windows or Linux as a matter and you set it up as a file sharing, a file sharing thing. So what you basically have is imagine this, you imagine like in, in a very simple form and not even in a data center, in a very simple form, you'd have, let's say, a computer in your home that has a bunch of hard drives in it. And those hard drives contain all your photos, family photos and all that. And in order for you to look at them, you connect to this computer from your phones or from your tablets or from another computer and you connect to it here. So what this computer becomes, this server rather becomes is a file sharing server, files, file sharing, a file sharing server, file sharing system, whatever you want to call it. So you would have say Windows server on there or Linux server of some sort, Ubuntu server, whatever it is. And you would then program it to do something. So you wouldn't program it in the traditional sense, like literally coding it up. You would use something like I use Samba share a lot on Linux. I'll use Samba share on here uh, on, on that computer. So I'd install, let's say Ubuntu server. I'd install an application called Samba. I'd go in and s- mount all the stuff. So I'd say mount all the, the, um, all the drives. And then I would in Samba share would divide it up into let, let's say like, Oh, if, if you're looking for 2022, if you're looking for 2023, if you're looking for 2019, whatever it is, like these are the different years of the photos that you can go. And then you would then from, you would then like program it such that your router would allow the traffic to it. You allow the computer and its own personal firewall to alert the server to allow it like allow traffic in. You have different security systems like username and password to access certain shares. So let's say, you know, you want your kids to be able to access 2022, but you don't want them to access 2023 because there was like a surprise party that you have planned or something. And you don't want them to know about that. So, you know, you know, the 2023 is now, you know, blocked off to them and those type of things. And that's what this server does. This server has all these hard drives in it, has in this case, Ubuntu server has Samba running on top of it, which is an application that's, that's for file sharing, has that configured. 
And then, uh, then you also have to configure your network such that people can connect to it. This is usually the example I use for its most basic form because people get all, all tied up in, do I use Linux? Do I use Windows? Do I use this? Do I use that? It's like, no, you're just basically configuring an app or multiple usually to allow it to be accessible or usable in some way. In this case, we just want to mount mount different hard drives like on my on my Windows PC, not on my Ubuntu server. I would go in and mount a network drive v- and use all the credentials and pathing that SambaShare provides that is provided by the server. And now I have a little mounted hard drive or network drive that says 2022. And I click in there and all my photos are there. And you can do that with various phones as well. Android is one of them. I know you can do that and, and that type of thing. So that, that's just a really basic example of like what let's say a traditional server is and obviously different apps like Mike has said is something like Apache or MySQL or whatever those things. And they need to have certain things configured to allow the proper traffic to be able to flow literally into the box and out of the box, out of the, into the box, into the server, excuse me, and out of the server as well. Correct. And it gets progressively more complicated and less complicated as well, depending on what you need. A lot of services will kind of help you manage some of the connections between those things. Some servers won't et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, you're managing a box with a bunch of applications on it and you're trying to get those applications to talk to each other as well as talk to the outside world a lot of, a lot of the time. That's a lot of what web servers really need to do, right? The management of that is what always didn't scare me, but it always put me off because I have so much to learn on the front end side. I have so much logic that I need to apply. And now I have to learn like sysadmin stuff on the back end, making sure that ports are open, making sure that these, these apps that are talking to each other properly and writing the back end code on top of that. Like, so that's like writing the code was just like one very small part of the actual back end process for me personally. This is where it's kind of a little bit different or actually significantly different with serverless because with serverless means you don't have to manage any of that. You don't have to do any of the actual server stuff where you have to manage what Linux installation and stuff it's on. All you do is you're writing Node.js code. Now there is, I think, PHP serverless and stuff like that. But in this specific example and the stuff that I'm going to be talking about with Next.js, Next and SvelteKit, I'm going to be talking about Node.js and that's JavaScript related backend service. So that's where it kind of clicked in my mind where I'm like, okay, so I can write paths. I can create routes. I can, you know, interact with the database. That's a really big one. Uh, all inside of my JavaScript code without having to spin up, spin up a whole other server. That's the power. It uses, it usually supports all the express framework, uh, routing methods. And all of nodes or mo, I would I should say most of nodes, like most of the, the packages that node supports, it will support like file based APIs and stuff like that. So you can do anything that a regular server could do to a limit, uh, inside of your regular JavaScript project. And at the end of the day, the actual management of that server and the hosting and the communication between your front end and back end is all handled by a third party. Now, To some people out there, I'm sure that there's a bunch of developers listening, that sounds like a nightmare because you're thinking, oh, I can't manage like the traffic throughput. I can't, you know, the security aspects and stuff like that. Uh, There's a lot of specific cases where this might not work. And I'm not saying this is a solution that's going to work for exactly every single project. A massive project with a billion connections going to it that need a lot of processing on the back end side, this might not work for. 
right? This is not something that this is not a one solution that replaces backend develop, development or backend uh, like server, regular servers. This is a solution that I think will work for most projects though. Like if your site, for instance, needs a, um, a job board and they need a more advanced functionality where people can add, like your, your employees can add jobs or your, you know, HR department can add jobs and people can apply to those jobs. So it's kind of like a little web app inside of your company's website. This is a perfect, this is a perfect solution for that because it doesn't need a ton of processing in the back end. It just needs a few routes for contacting a database, for editing that database, for querying that database. It just needs some routes, maybe some authentication on top of that. Any sort of OAuth situation, right? Any, you know, you want to, you want to set up a auth situation where you can log in with Google, you can log in with Spotify or whatever. All that can be handled inside of a serverless function without having to spin up a whole other dedicated server just to handle some authentication. That's the power of it in my eyes. A lot of the times when I had to set up authentication for, I remember I was building the hat website a while back uh, from scratch with Node.js. You know what took me the longest? Setting up the Node.js server, not writing the Node.js code. The longest was literally setting up the server so it could run on DigitalOcean so I can contact it so it's secure and all that. All of that is handled for you in a serverless environment. And that's where, that's where the appeal is to me for small stuff, for stuff that is quick that you need, you need done quickly, right? For stuff that is a, is like a response, like, um, a response request. Uh, a lot of those things are key attributes into picking a serverless infrastructure. And a lot of the times with like that decision between server and serverless, there obviously are some downsides um, to serverless. I'm not saying, again, serverless isn't the golden t- solution for everything. Uh, some of the downsides can include like the amount of requests you can make uh, in certain like I'm going to give I'm going to use Vercel as a industry standard right now. But there are different services that offer serverless functions. I know Cloudflare offers them. I know Netlify offers them now. I know, uh, I think GitHub even offers them GitHub pages, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Regardless, with Vercel, there's like, you know, in the free tier, uh, your server function as a limitation, your serverless function can run for only like 10 seconds. So if you have something that runs for over 10 seconds in terms of like you request something, the, pro- the, the, the server function needs to process something for that takes 10 seconds, it'll time out after that. Now you can increase that by paying for the pro plan to like 100 seconds or something. Again, this is where I kind of say that like, hey, if you need to do some very server intensive work, serverless functions are probably not going to work for you because of these little limitations. But thinking back, what function have I ever created that needs to run for over 10 seconds? Like I, I personally can't think of one. Um, maybe there's something again, again, a lot of stuff that's, that's done in the background could be a problem because like if you have to, again, transcoding video is not something you would do in a serverless function because that could take more than 10 seconds, right? Anything that you kick off that, that could take like a minute, two minutes, 10 minutes, all of a sudden that, you know, then you're thinking, okay, I need to build a server, but Back to my idea with the job board, with the authentication, all of that is instantaneous. Like if you're, if you, if you have so many jobs in there that it's taking 10 seconds for you to, uh, to query the jobs or to write a job, then you have other problems outside of your serverless function. Your, your company is going down because you're hiring so much. I don't know. I don't know what's happening there, but regardless. It's not going to be a problem. And a lot of applications out there, a lot of people that are building applications are in that category of like quick query, uh, 
do do some you know edit operations, do some complex data analysis queries. Those all those will take you not that much time, and can definitely be done in a serverless function. I uh, I have some questions. I'm I'm a little confused. Yeah, um, do it. I might be pretty confused actually. Um, so. What does this look like from the hardware end? So I'll, I'll give you an example. So um, you have a server rack and you have one server in there. That server is running whatever. Let's just use Ubuntu server. There's a bunch of others ones you can use. Let's just say Ubuntu server. That Ubuntu server can run a collection of applications. It could run Samba. Uh, like I said before, it could also run, you know, a, a number of things. Uh, it could run even your authentication, you know, it could run whatever applications you need. Now, obviously there's reasons for you to have more than one physical server in the rack redundancy. Maybe there's some security stuff you don't want to, to be crossed this and that, but one server, depending on its power and depending on what's required of it, one physical piece of hardware is able to do a bunch of different things, much like our computers are doing right now. I got discord open, you know, web messages or messages for web or what the heck it's called now. Microsoft to do. I'm talking to you on here. I got audacity. It's recording. This microphone is talking to it. You know, there's a number of things. So these servers can do similar things. Again, I realize there's reasons why we have multiple servers in, in, in some ways, like one server might be just for databases, one for organization, for security, for power distribution, or like literally computing power distribution, uh, among other things, redundancy and stuff. Now, what I don't really understand is, is like you're saying this is serverless, but it's still running on a server. So now this might be a dumb question, though, but it sounds like you're doing a real quick something. So you said like under 10 seconds. So you're doing a real quick whatever it is. And then you're and then it's like shutting off. But mm-hmm. is it shutting off a VM? Like, what is it? Like a VM being a virtual machine. I mean, like, what is what is. I, I, I just, I don't see it from, let's say, bottom up, in which the bottom, I mean, the hardware. Like, what's going on here? Because it's it's called serverless, but it's it sounds like serverless is more a marketing term than literally, like, it's not like the server literally disappeared and the and the uh, the website user or the client, like, the, the, the authentication stuff is not being done on their end. It's not like we're, we're blockchaining this in which we're, like, distributing the computing or something. This is like, there's still a server somewhere. Correct. So I'm just not fully grasping. Like, is this just, is this effectively ma- what, what, what's commonly called a managed, um, like a managed VPS or like even a managed dedicated server where it's just, there's a company offering the, the sysadmin services or am I, I think, I feel like I'm missing the point. So it's, I don't know if it, okay. So first of all, really good question. And this is exactly why I wanted you to, to listen and like uh, ask these questions because I think you're not gonna, you're not the only one that's going to be asking this. And in fact, I was the exact same way in in terms of skeptic skepticism towards serverless because at the end of the day, you're hundred percent right. Serverless doesn't mean no server. All serverless really means is that you don't manage or spin up or touch the server infrastructure. You have some some way of configuring stuff like a little bit, but at the end of the like at the start of it, you don't have to touch anything to to get your server quote unquote functions up and running because they're they're hosted, they're managed, and they are actually like started and stopped all throughout the through the software of Vercel or whatever other platform that's offering this. Calling it a managed server is a little bit 
incorrect because a managed server usually is just like the company going in there, setting up a server for you and then allowing you to contact them to, to add stuff and, and disable stuff. This is more of a server as a service where it's doing all of the actual management stuff for you in the background. You don't have to touch it. You don't have to worry about it. That's the serverless aspect. The serverless aspect is the configuration aspect, not the fact that there's no server, but there's no server configuration required or server so worrying. So, so basically it'd be, it'd be like, you know, I'll give you an example. So we, we've recently had to use a VPS for a project and we had to on this VPS. Um, it's a smaller project. So we have uh, a database, uh, a web server, which I believe was Apache. Um, so Apache, let's say MySQL, and uh, I think it was running with cPanel, so cPanel, sure, um, which allows you to manage a bunch of other stuff as well. There's DNS and stuff in there, but let, let's just keep it simple. Apache, cPanel to, for con- to control it, and then uh, the database, which is MySQL. That's all done on, you know, one box. Now, I understand it's a virtual private server, so it's a VM in a, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like whole thing. We're not going to get into that. But the whole thing is, is it's like that's our server, you know, effectively our server stack, if you will. Um, so you're saying that instead of like that Apache and that MySQL running and being ready all the time, you would have a really quick function that goes out and say like, yep, hey, I need, you know, I need... um I need to check a, a list of the users and mm-hmm. then it just like quickly shoots out. And instead of it sitting there all the time ready and we haven't configured it. So for example, Correct. in this particular case, I had to, you know, choose the database quotas and the database name and the database user and what, um, what uh, access that user had uh, for security purpose. And then I had to, you know, import the data and set up uh, a, a back, um, I set up a backup system and then, you know, set up a remote backup system. And so I literally had to go in and configure all this. And then I was doing most of this from cPanel and we work with a backend developer and he was going in and using more of the command line stuff as I'm rusty at it now. So he was using more of the command line stuff going in there and, you know, you know, trimming some stuff that the, you know, the, the cPanel, which is the user interface we use to control the, the server, the, the stuff that the cPanel just couldn't quite get. So, Instead of us doing all that configuration, this and that, it sounds like what you're kind of doing is you're kind of going to uh, Vercel, which is a hosting provider, if I, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. you mentioning. So you'd go to Vercel and you would literally just say, I need a MySQL server um, with the name Matt. Let's say it's my portfolio site with the name Matt. And I need uh, uh, an entry called Matt, an entry called Projects, and an entry called Contact. So... Like, kind of, okay, you know the what I mean? MySQL, like, the MySQL side of things is actually a little bit different. Like what, what you would go to Vercel is here's a JavaScript file that mm-hmm. has a route for accessing a database or accessing some something like a, like a server function in it that you need okay. to run on the server, right? Here's a, here's just a JavaScript file. Can you please run it whenever I hit this endpoint? And it's obviously more. Easy, like easier than that. You don't have to actually have to declare it like that to Vercel. You actually just put it in the file structure of your application. And mm-hmm. I'll explain that in a second. But you, you're just uploading a JavaScript file or a TypeScript file. And if you put it in the right route inside of your folder structure, when you hit that route in your domain, it will kick, like kickstart that serverless function, run it, do everything, send back the, the stuff that you need, and then shut off. 
Okay, so now one it does so that d- in a split describe, second, but describe the right route. So, like, 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 give me, give me an example. So, would it be something like the login route? So it's like exactly. I'm at the login page, and I've typed in my username, I've typed in my password, and I've pressed login. Now mm-hmm. your front end code needs to be in the right route, as in like you know the slash login logging yep. in or whatever. Um, and it needs to go. And so something is a function is very briefly spinning up. And, you know, over oversimplification, but it's basically just checking if my username and my password is correct. Mm-hmm. And then that route or that s- function shuts down. And so that is that what Vercel is providing is Vercel provide like you're like you are effectively saying check on or um, you're saying check the username and password, check the login data. And Vercel is like, they're checking login data and it just quickly does it. Is that effectively what's happening here? So you're writing the code to check the login data yourself. You're, the Vercel is just hosting that code inside of a serverless function, allowing you to access it through a route. So instead of in, like it, it provides the, the, the routing, the routing comes from the frameworks. And I'm going to talk about that literally as, as mm-hmm. the next segment, the routing comes from the frameworks and Vercel just allows you to take that route and spin up a function, do whatever you say in that function. So that function could be, like you said, uh, check, like checking a database for, for the right key, for the right password, and then responding with, uh, pot, like, you know, a, uh, true or false or responding with the authenticated response, whatever it is. And then it would shut down. Now, the, the starting and shutting down part is a little bit more complicated than that, where like, there is such thing as it's being like, um, I can't remember what it's called, but essentially it was, it, it's not fully shut down most of the time. So when someone hits it, it actually puts it in a, in, in a spot where it's cached to a certain degree, where if the next person hits it, it's going to be even faster. And as, as long as someone's hitting, it, it's going to be really, really fast. As soon as the, you know, 10 minutes goes by or however long goes by, it's going to spin down a little bit, but it's still going to be like the first hit is still going to be fast enough to not notice. Um, that's, that part is really complicated, but that's all done in the back end, right? Like that's all, that's all done behind the scenes, I should say. But it, are Vercel. you still, are, is, so Vercel is writing, like you said, you're writing the, the authentication code. Yes. Are you writing, like, are, are you still, let's say you're a front end, strictly front end developer. Mm-hmm. Do you still need a back end developer to write the, to write the authentication code in this, yes. in this instance? You still need that. Yes. So the only if thing, fr- the only thing that you're losing is the server admin part. Yes. That's correct. You need to still be able to write backend code because that's not going to be written for you. You still be able, you still need to be able to interact with the database with the, from the backend. Um, now there's a lot of tools that can help you there, but they can help you in the backend as well. So you need, you still need to be a full stack developer. That doesn't, it doesn't take that away. All it does is removes the server management aspect from it. That's it. Like just the hardware though? Yeah. Because- just the hard, just the hardware and the software side of things. Like you don't have to manage any of the server stuff at all you just have to write server code so you're never you're never given okay so you're never given like let's say you you spin up um you spin up an instance in 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 any any of the number of cloud services out there you're never given just like a blank like hard drive like no. you're never given oftentimes these services will ask if you want a certain os installed or whatever for ease nope. for, like for example but like let's say that doesn't happen you're never just given like you have a remote access to this piece of hardware enjoy type of thing like you're Correct. never at like the blank level if you will you're out you're always like you're on it's ubuntu all- with the database server installed or what, or what have you like you're already 
you, you have a Node.js environment. That's the best. That's the best way to describe it. You have you have Node.js uh, running essentially, and you can access it through a route, through like by just putting a TypeScript or JavaScript file inside of a folder specifically in your in your uh, framework. So let me quickly talk about the framework side of things, and that might put stuff together for you because that's where this kind of takes off, right? Like that's the whole sure. point of this is so that you can use frameworks like Next, Nuxt, and SvelteKit, which are actually frameworks that are built on top of popular front-end JavaScript frameworks like React, Vue, and Svelte, right, respectively, and use those frameworks to build a full-stack application with this serverless function code in mind. So those frameworks like Next, Nuxt, and SvelteKit, what they provide really, and the biggest part of it, is page routing. So the ability to have like a pages folder inside of your folder structure and put like, for instance, a home.svelte or a about.svelte in there. And when you go, when you launch the application, the dev server or the production build, and you go to slash home and slash or just slash for home and slash about for about, it'll actually take you to the right page without you having to write any logic there, right? A lot of the times, if you just use the framework, you would either have to bring in a third-party router or bring in routing and have to set up your routes manually, like actually in code. What these frameworks like SvelteKit or Next or Nux do is they allow you to not have to do that. And it might seem like not a lot, <laughs> but when you start thinking about query parameters, when you start thinking about API routes that we're just going to get into with the serverless functions, when we start thinking about server-side rendering and, and static site generation, all that really is embedded into routing. And that's why it becomes so complicated. And that's why a framework like Next is so necessary when you're building a regular web page inside of React. Like it's so much easier to build it inside of Next because it, it, it assumes so many more things for you rather than you having to handle it one by one case, case by case basis. So where I, where it really excels again is being able to have an API folder in your routes, right? And inside that API folder, in your routes folder, you can put something like auth.js. And using Express Framework, the Express Framework, which again is Node.js, you can just write a basic backend authentication code in there that would run, that would typically run on like a managed server or a dedicated server. But you're just writing it right inside of your front end framework's code base. And it's going to automatically create that route for you. So if you go to example, if you, once you deploy the application to Vercel and you inside of your application uh, navigate to slash API slash auth, it'll automatically hit that backend code that you wrote and do whatever it says and respond with whatever you need without you having to again spin up that server. To usually that you would usually have to do that can run Node, that can run uh, you know Apache, that can run whatever you need it, whatever you you would need to then only do that route. So from a UX perspective, this is a crazy step because you don't need that. Like again, the the huge step of setting up a whole managed service to run your routes. Does that? simplified in any way for you, Matt. Like again, it's 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 built into these frameworks that you can just write the API routes right inside your code base 
without having to go to a different code base, without having to spin up another server. It's all inside your code base. And when you deploy it on Vercel, it automatically knows that since this is an API route, it will deploy it as a serverless function. So you don't have to set that up even. Why are you spinning up another server for an API call? What do you mean? Like you're you're saying you're saying like for for each of these for each of these functions like API call and I think you mentioned a couple others mm-hmm. you're saying that you need to spin up another server. Why are you spinning up a server for each? Well, you would you would you would spin up one server for all of them, obviously. Like if you if you had the need for any sort of authentication inside your application, you would spin up. Uh, you know, Laravel or PHP or whatever in the back sure, end, you would spin sure. up a whole server and you would put all your routes in there. So is Vercel effectively dictating, and I, I know we're talking a lot about Vercel, but like as the host, is Vercel dictating what it has on deck? Like we have PHP on deck, we have Node, we have this, we have that, like whatever whatever it is they have. Like we have all this on deck. Go into your, like go ahead and use your framework of you know, they have a collection that they work with and you go in and you do effectively your back end work in a file like you normally would, like in PHP on WordPress, let's say. And then they handle the processing of that. But obviously there's going to be as you compile with these um, these uh, frameworks, it, there's obviously going to be you're going to like, you know, throw it into some files or whatever so that they can wrap it in. They understand that it's a serverless function. I don't see the point in this, actually, to be just to be totally honest with you. Like, like I, the thing, the thing I don't understand, it's like we still need a full stack dev. There's still a server. But you don't um, need to manage the server. But don't you, though, no. if you're doing the front end or you're doing the back end code, like, are you no. saying you don't need to you don't need to manage the server as in you don't need to update the PHP version. You don't need to update the version of cPanel available. You no, don't, you need, don't to need to have manage- a cPanel and you don't need to have you don't need to worry about any of that, period. Like there's no, there's no, so process. how are you go ahead? Yep. Sorry. There's no process in terms, like when you upload, when you essentially connect your GitHub repo to Vercel, mm-hmm. there's no process where you're like, Oh, I'm going to pick, you know, this version. I'm going to, you know, use this tunnel. I'm going to use this port. Like there's no process that you have to do that. It just takes your configuration from your, from your GitHub automatically configures everything for you and deploys the front end with, the serverless functions for you. Like it automatically does that straight from your GitHub. And anytime you do an update to your API routes or your front end, it'll automatically rebuild it and deploy it for you without you touching it. I guess my, I guess my hesitation here, my question really is, is like, there's a reason why we have server. I mean, the servers available is that, um, or let's say like more traditional hosting with a server is that there are times in which you need like a little, a little tweak, a little hack, you know, here and there to get something to work. And it doesn't sound like you would have the option to do that anywhere other than the front end, because it sounds like you're kind of limited in what you do. Maybe that's wrong. It kind of sounds like you're limited in what you're doing in your back end code. Like you have to do something that's explicitly compatible with what, a hosting provider is like Vercel is offering. Yes. Whereas, you know, let's say you can run PHP. Uh, these are the wrong versions, but it's, for example, sir, it's like uh, you're using PHP 2.0, which is very old, but using PHP 2.0 for everything. But you have this really, really old application that requires PHP one. I mean, if Vercel in this example 
kills PHP 1 entirely, you're at the mercy of it. But if you have rented a server via whatever, like a VPS dedicated or even shared to some extent, you could, usually not shared, but you could go and you, the sysadmin or the DevOps or whomever, could go and install PHP 1 or keep it installed if, as the case varies. And then yes. you could use PHP 1 and 2. It sort of sounds like, like, is this, are we being sort of pigeonholed here yes. by you doing so, this? No, you're a hundred percent being pigeonholed to a certain degree. Like you, you have to, you have to stay within the limitations of the service. But what I'm saying is, and like I said, this a, a little bit before is like, I would say 90% of applications out there don't need what you're describing. They don't need PHP one and P and, and control between PHP one and two. And usually when you're working inside of like, those kinds of applications, it's a nightmare anyway. And mm-hmm. yeah, you need to manage like multiple different servers. You need to manage access between the servers and you need to manage crazy amounts of security, right? Like security is a whole other aspect. When you're managing PHP one, security goes out the window. So like the idea of Vercel and the idea of the serverless stuff is that it will handle most applications out there, like a job board. There's no complexity there. There's, there's no, you know, you don't have to jump through hoops there. It can easily be done with regular serverless functions. Like it, you're just querying data. You're sending back data. You're not using anything complex back and forth. Like your UI is all handled by your uh, front end framework. So anything that you do on the back end is going to be a very simple call there th- through and back. So you don't need to spin up a whole separate back end server to have to manage that and also manage that back end server and pay for it where it can all be done straight on Vercel without you having to touch it at all. And continuous integration is fully built in, right? So anytime you update your Git repository or like whatever branch you pick as your continuous integration branch, it'll automatically update your code in the production site and set up a staging environment and all that. Like the power of this isn't that, hey, your outlier can work because we're going to give you full access to the back end and we'll let you download PHP. There's already services that can do that. If you need that, that's fine. You know what I mean? Like that sucks, but you got to, that's what you got to do. The power of this is like, Hey, this is a fully managed service that allows you to build full stack applications really, really quickly and also robustly, securely and scalable. The big thing here, like the big asterisk, not not asterisk, but star would be the scalable part too, is that think about setting up like a server function that needs to handle, you know, millions and millions of requests. Well, you got to build like full scaling, redundancy, uh, load balancing, all that into it. All of that is built into serverless. I can definitely see the benefit there, especially because we we haven't personally worked on on. Mm -hmm on uh, projects that have required that because obviously even, you know, one, let's say even half decent or even older server, depending on the, uh, the complexity of the site and the, uh, how well it's been optimized. I mean, realistically can serve hundreds of people a day um, and even hundreds of people at the same time, depending on how good the network is and this and that, you know, there's a, there's a number of factors, but like once you, once you've overwhelmed your options between VPS and shared and uh, dedicated, once you've overwhelmed that, I mean, absolutely. Like, as we all know, like cloud computing is the the scalable king, I guess you could say. Um, and so like, this sounds more like a cloud computing thing. I, I'm starting, I'm starting to get it. Like it, it makes a lot more sense when it, it's in that context. 
when it's not just when it's not just um one random shared hosting that you, hosting plan that you just purchased at random um and I, i'm going to run through an example and correct me as i go with say wordpress i understand that wordpress is different but like hypothetically so a general like thing that you know that we've received as a as a web dev agency is somebody is it has an old WordPress site they want to move over to a new host and so, actually before before you fully jump into WordPress I kind of want to clarify something here too okay yeah WordPress is the perfect example of what I was saying that like is the back end version of this right so the back end version of a serverless function quote unquote is WordPress because it handles almost everything for you right. Like, yeah, you still have to manage some, like there's some server hosting providers that manage your full WordPress installation as well. So oh, WordPress yeah, yeah. is a good example of like, hey, I'm a backend dev. So that's where I'm more comfortable because everything's done in the backend. It's just templating in the front end. I don't have to worry about the front end logic code and stuff like that. I can do that all in the back end. Right. So that's where WordPress was, right? So it's a perfect example of like the parallel between the backend and the front end because the front end all of a sudden has that same capability. Where a front-end right. dev that's more comfortable on the front-end is now only working in the front-end. Yes, he still has to do some back-end code, but it's the same thing as asking like a back-end dev to do a little bit of front-end code. Because right. it's not a lot and you can learn it and it's usually in the same language that you're coding in JavaScript in terms of Node.js. So that's where like the parallels kind of go where like, like WordPress isn't serverless, obviously. But it has the kind of similar functionality in terms of, uh, you know, managing your setup process and managing your connections between your back end, front end and in between. Where this is now providing custom code people that do a lot of custom applications like with Next, Nuxt and SvelteKit to have that same kind of ease of use developer experience on the front end. Right. WordPress is managing your plugin installs. You know, realistically, it can even do its own updates, albeit half the time it breaks. But anyway, um, depending on how many plugins you have, of course. Uh, But like, you know, you can install full lightbox, you know, functionality, let's say, to your site, depending on if there's a plugin available, even if you're not a developer at all. Um, I mean, I don't recommend that, (laughs) but, uh, you know, stuff like that, like you, it manages all this. But like, okay, so like, let, um, an example like would be like to, in, in my head and like correct this as I go is like WordPress still. But one of the things that we'll commonly receive is is a package from, say, another dev or another host. And it will have a copy of what was in the public folder slash the which is the WordPress installation. Right. It has the WordPress content stuff in there. It has the index files and a bunch of other stuff like that. It has a bunch of stuff. And then um We'll also receive a copy of the database, a backup of the database. So generally what I'll do is I'll go into some sort of shared plan because that's not usually not too high traffic. I'll take the, I'll make a new database. I will make a new database user. I will take that database user, give them permission for the new database. I will go and I will import the backup that I received in the original package into the database. Now my database is ready. Then I take the contents of the WordPress site. So basically let's say the front end stuff, although it does have PHP scripts and stuff like that in there. And I take all like the WordPress installation, right? I take the WordPress installation, including all the content that was uploaded and stuff like the images and whatnot that the user has uploaded. I take that 
and and again, this is all generally, and I throw it into the public underscore HTML folder because usually we're on Apache or something similar. And then I go into the WordPress config and I WordPress config file and I configure the connection to the database. And then I also, if they're changing the URL, I have to go into the database and change a couple of things to fix that. And then nine out of 10 times the permalinks don't work and I have to go and save that. Okay, so in a serverless situation, I understand you're going to talk about databases in a bit, but in a serverless situation, you know, I'm not installing the WordPress. The WordPress is being worked on. Like we're, we're, um, how would you say this? It's like, we're doing all of our custom WordPress stuff, say our plugins, this and that in some sort of framework. And then we're just calling on WordPress functions that Vercel would execute. And then it and then it hits a database, which is probably not installed by me fully or whatever. You're going to get into databases in a bit, but I'm skipping all of the file upload, extract, delete the remnants, place the files where they're supposed to be. Go here, go there in this hypothetical framework that I'm working in. I'm literally calling on almost I guess I would call them remote WordPress functions. Like if I was working on like Vercel WordPress, like if it was a service they offered Vercel dash like WordPress, I would literally just call WordPress functions. I'm not worried about literally installing the WordPress content and the, and all the other WordPress stuff that comes with it. I'm not like, I'm not installing all those folders. I'm not doing any of that. I'm not going in and changing that specific file necessarily. I'm configuring a file in my code to connect to that database. I'm not going in and, messing with the C panel or anything like that, or going into CMD to import the database if I need to or stuff on or FTPing. I'm not doing any of that. Correct. I'm connecting to in this hypothetical, the Vercel WordPress situation. And then I'm, and then I'm writing all my code that I would need, although you don't really need many, many much. So, I mean, maybe WordPress is the greatest example, but in general, I'm not dealing with the WordPress install. I'm worried about the content and I'm worried about anything I need to change in my little front end thing. And then it runs WordPress for me whenever it needs to be invoked. Yeah, I think I think that's a good example. Like I, I had initially I was having trouble picturing it. But then once you brought in the fact that, hey, it's just. WordPress, the actual installation stuff is done in the background. That's exactly it. Like you don't have to worry about setting up the server infrastructure for WordPress. You're just worried about writing code for WordPress. Yeah. Like if I was writing my own like little custom plugin or something like, like, which you don't normally do like too much, obviously, because you use existing plugins, which is why Mm -hmm. I thought the example was a little shaky, but just in general, it's like, I'm not doing that whole situation. Again, I know you'll explain databases later, but I'm not doing that whole situation where I'm, you know, moving the, moving the files in and checking the config and then, you know, making sure there's a database user and all this stuff. Like I'm not doing, all that and then also like it doesn't end there half the time it won't boot up you got to go in there and change the hd access which is a big server thing and you have to go change the hd access and make sure that's correct or make make wordpress regenerated or you know this and that and the other thing. change the php i and i or the any whatever the people say so that it you know you can change how how uh, big your uploads are and stuff like this because oftentimes it's very limited and you want to have bigger images and yada 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 like the list goes on um yeah so i'm not doing the server stuff I'm doing just the WordPress stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that, I think that's a good analogy. Like it actually sounds like something like a product that could be made what you're describing um, in terms of use use case. Cause I think a, a lot of the 
issues that people have is the server stuff. But like I said, there are managed hosting platforms for WordPress. That oh, of almost, course, of course. That almost do exactly what you're saying, right? Yes, like Bluehost, so, like, I think, is one of them. And there's a lot of one-click installers, yeah. even for, let's say, quote-unquote, generic hosting, yeah. where I can one-click install WordPress and stuff like that. Like, of course, there's because WordPress is so popular, there's tons of, like, stuff that's been built around it to make it, like, a, a an easy-to-use thing for someone that doesn't code at all, even, right? Exactly. Like, it's it's been adjusted to different levels of difficulty. But in our case, you know, if we're just receiving this, let's say this raw package from the previous host and we're putting it in a new host, that's how we handle it. And so I wouldn't have to handle say 50% of that. It sounds like. Yeah. And that, and that's the kind of mentality that I, that I use for this too, because this is the same kind of ease of use thing, but for front end developers, because again, a front end developer doesn't necessarily, or like a full stack developer even doesn't necessarily need to know all this, this admin stuff, Right to be a, an effective developer. They need to know how to write front-end and back-end code, which again, a lot of the time can be in the same exact language. So if you're a front-end developer with a good understanding of JavaScript, you can write Java's like Node.js back-end code. Like that's, it, it is interchangeable in the sense that like you just go and look at the docs and you figure it out. Um, the, the part that's a lot more that takes a lot more like different mindset is the sysadmin stuff, is the load balancing stuff, is the caching, like all this stuff that is so different from writing code that it shouldn't be done by the same person, in my opinion, like the, the same person mm-hmm. that handles your server infrastructure and your, and your scaling and all that should be different from the person that actually writes your code. Not that they don't cross between each other like they should understand both sides but in 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 a production environment really like they should be different so as a small you know for a startup or for a small dev shop or for a, for a, a developer that's starting out taking on that whole aspect themselves and a lot of people did that i did that like you did that like we all had to put on that hat many times uh for me again this serverless concept with next next nuxt and svelte kit has changed the game in terms of full stack development because now I can focus on the code. Like for instance, for example, like I was working on the Solarians project uh, and we needed a, a backend setup to see who minted what NFT or whatever. Like it doesn't really matter, right? It's a small little backend. It's not very complicated. It just needed to essentially add, be able to add a user needed to be able to query for the right parameters to be able to check on load and stuff like that. Like it wasn't complicated, but it needed a database. It needed a, a backend. It needed something that was persistent and uh, not front end. I just spun up an API and I spun up a little backend and I'll talk about the, the data. I spun up a little database. I mean, and I'll talk about that in a second. But all of that was done without me having to spin up another server, which I, which is something that I would have 100% had to do two years, three years ago. I would have had to spin up another server, most likely, and run the, the routes for my code and maybe use Firebase for the, for the database or something like that, right? So I don't have to add a database on top of it. But like all of that is something I would have had to do. Whereas with now, I literally had to write JavaScript code and Vercel handled all the backend stuff for me. Like I didn't have to do any of the server infrastructure. So it saved me in my approximation, at least two or three days of work. Because again, what comes with like, I can spin something up pretty quickly in the back end to just work sort of, especially locally, like on my machine to do testing. When it comes to production, that's a whole other story. Just put SSL on the table, bring SSL into the picture, having a VPS with SSL and all that. 
a day of work for me. Because I don't know what to do. I'm constantly, I was constantly battling with it. I don't know if you remember, Matt, when we were creating No BS News for Reddit. I spent 12 hours of the, I don't know, 16 hours that we spent that day bashing our heads against walls working on SSL. Yeah, I remember that. I do remember that. Yeah, you couldn't get it to, I think, issue a, issue you a cert or issue you one that worked, yeah. I think. So today, that project would probably take me two hours. Right. That's the difference. That's honestly, like, I can't evangelize it enough in terms of time saving. That's, that's it. In terms of functionality, you lose some, some robustness. I was going to say, like, how are these things going to age too? You know, you lose some customization. I mean, Vercel is a big enough company that I'm not too worried about it crashing or anything like that like they they're the 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 creators of next.js in fact they just bought svelte uh, the svelte they didn't buy svelte because i should say it's all open source same with next.js but uh they just hired the creator of svelte kit to work on svelte kit full-time and work like work with them to make sure that the integration between next.js uh sorry but the integration between Vercel and svelte kit is good like they're very dedicated to this craft and they mm. also have a decent uh a decent business going so I, i'm not too worried about them crashing or anything like that longevity. Well, I'm, I'm more so asking about like so obviously like they're you know relatively new and, and, and i'm not like talking to their business i'm talking about serverless in general as a concept um something like i'll use wordpress again it's like something like wordpress you know there, there's wordpress sites that are left at a very old version and whereas you know that's not recommended for security reasons it does happen even with the most responsible of administrators when there's a very specific plugin that somebody absolutely needs and it's absolutely incompatible with the latest wordpress version or like a plugin that they absolutely require uh just causes a weird conflict with another plugin but only when they're at both at certain versions and so older versions get left absolutely that happens to tons of websites so and, and I understand we're not talking about wordpress in, in general but if you were to force WordPress along, if you were to force it to update, force it to upgrade, force all these things, you'd start seeing 500, like Google or uh, Air 500s. You'd start seeing 404s. You'd see sites go down. You know, you'd see CSS disappearing. You'd see everything but the homepage working, everything, everything or everything not working except the homepage. Like you'd start seeing sort of the classic WordPress problems. Um, how is like, how is serverless how is serverless with a site that's not going to be maintained even, you know, like, like I just talked about responsible people trying to update as much as they possibly can, but being left behind due to technical problems. What happens when somebody starts a WordPress site because they're trying to start a business that's unrelated to web dev. It's, it's more about the blog and they never update or manage their, their WordPress. Or in this case, they never manage their serverless application. You know, how is the, how is a, an app slash a website with lack of maintenance going to age on something like serverless? I think very predictably, like, like you're saying, uh, once a serverless, but once a server is updated, there's going to be deprecated stuff. And it's, it, there's always the potential that one of the functions that you're using could be deprecated, right? Like you'll have warnings about that for years and years and years before it's actually going to break. But, um, there's a very real possibility that since you don't control the environment fully, that five years down the line, six years down the line, you could have issues. Absolutely. If you're so using something like old, an enterprise would have would probably struggle with serverless because they would be pushed along potentially too quickly. We've seen people, you know, argue for the the continued use even as soon as a few years ago of Windows XP because they just do not change the cogs in their machine. 
for whatever I, I reason. Agree. I agree uh, with you there that, that enterprises would have an issue with this, but the, my argument stops with the fact that that shouldn't be the, the case. I know it is the case, but like the fact that enterprises are using Windows XP is actually a disaster for security and for uh, longevity and for developer hiring, right? So mm-hmm. I would very strong, like if I was in a develop, if I was in a position at one of those companies and I had any sort of power. What the hell? Somebody just beat, is somebody beating on your door? Like is somebody breaking in over yeah. there? Yeah. Give me a second. As a, uh, uh, as 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 exciting as a podcast can get, Mike is just about to be like about to have his door knocked down by a random telemarketer or something like trying to sell him something like, "Hey, man, I heard you were talking about Vercel. Well, you can come check out our our Vercel alternative or something like that." That was strange. I don't know what happened. I don't know. So was somebody just beating on the door and then that was it? No, someone is like it's just it was like a. Events or something. Someone was hitting event. I don't know. That was really maybe weird. they were just like putting something into their yeah into their place and then before. like have, like bumping into it type of thing because they're like trying to get into a door. I guess so. Yeah, it was just a really weird sound. Um, okay, I, I I mentioned in the show here that um, this is as exciting as the show gets because uh, because like a Vercel sale a Vercel alternative salesman is knocking on your door. Hey, I thought you heard you were talking about Vercel, and uh, yeah, so enjoy that. Yeah. <laughs> enjoy but the like, hypothetical that yeah. uh yeah that didn't happen but, like, i i agree like i agree that it could be a problem uh and it, it like it should be a problem it'll probably be a problem for a longevity like if you if you just leave an application for five years there's a chance especially if it's complex there's a chance that it'll break um whereas with a, maybe a dedicated server especially if you're the one that's hosting that server there's probably less of a chance it'll break but on the other hand browsers sometimes will change and deprecate. So you, you, you do have to keep up. Like in my opinion, leaving something for five years and generating an income or relying on it to be a part of your daily workflow is a dumb idea at the end of the day. You're better off like going to the cloud for stuff where it's like how like WordPress, for example, you could do self-hosted or you could go with, you know, a managed self hosted solution. I suppose what it is, or you could go to wordpress.com and let them do it. It's yeah, sort of exactly. like, but, you know, if you don't want to do the maintenance, you kind of have to these days. So you should kind of go with one of those services. Yes. But then you bring that same issue that you were talking about where like a plugin could stop working because the, that, those guys updated your WordPress and all of a sudden they didn't realize Correct, that the plugin wasn't yes. working. So like it's kind of a um, – it's kind of a – it's a give and take situation. Like why everything like, – it's idealistic to think that people are going to do this. People are going to always, you know, every year go back and update their applications. It's not going to happen. They're probably going to wait for them to break and then panic and then update them. That's just the status quo. And I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. But ideally, if you're in a position as a developer to put in systems for like yearly or yearly checks of deprecated functions in your applications, it's probably a good idea across the board because again, if a deprecated function is like removed from node, sometimes those functions can be removed from the browser too. So you could have a situation where like Chrome doesn't support your application anymore. Like that, it, that does happen. 
You know what I mean? Because they've deprecated something. So you have to go in there and update it. And there's nothing you can do against that. No, no amount of dedicated hardware is going to stop that from happening because Chrome is not under your control. So I don't know. It's you, you bring up a solid and a valid issue. I just think that it's definitely something that can be easily monitored as you're growing. And when you get to the point where you're so big that your application maybe outgrows serverless, which is possible. Um, even though I have seen applications with bill, with a billion hits, hit server, like with serverless and it still worked. I think there are certain situations, like I mentioned, data processing and uh, video processing. If you outgrow that, then transitioning it to that infrastructure won't be that hard because serverless doesn't mean that you're writing completely different code. It just means that you're writing code, uh, and not managing the server. If you need to convert it to a server, you know, you, you'll, you'll just convert it to a server. You'll just take the code that you've already written, put it in a file and spin up a server. It's not that big a deal. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, okay. Before, before we wrap up, I do want to hit uh, databases for a really, really quick because it is important. Um, the we haven't talked too much about databases. I know Matt's mentioned it a couple of times, but I've, I was purposely kind of left them out because it's another aspect of the serverless stuff. So there's a lot of options now in terms of managed databases. And what I mean by that is databases that you don't have to host yourself in terms of like MySQL on a dedicated server or whatever. You can go in and use a third-party service that manages the database for you and very importantly, manages security and scaling, sharding, all of that stuff for you. That's the stuff that's very complicated. Like when you go into a senior developer uh, interview, a lot of the times, most of your questions will actually be about how are you going to scale this application? Like, you know, how, how where's your load balancer going to be? How are you going to scale the database queries? Where are you going to put your end, like uh, edge functions? Where are you going to put your uh, like separate load balancers for the actual DNS side and the actual application side. Like, how are you going to scale it to a point where we can go from, you know, 100,000 users to 100 million users within two years? That's a lot of the very complex interview questions that you're going to get as a senior developer. What is complicated is the scaling for sure. And these managed databases that have been competing against each other very, very intensely have started to get to a point where in some of those interviews, I would actually lean towards them. There's a database that I use called Planet Scale, and I did a little bit of napkin math on the on the scaling, and it's very competitive with a highly scaled, you know, AWS inst uh, installation. AWS is the cheapest, I want to say, but it's also the most complex, right? So, like scaling an AWS instance is actually very a very complicated thing. In terms of like scaling your databases, scaling your database connections, your servers, everything, it's complex. Whereas Planet Scale, something like Planet Scale, is something where you kind of just give it money and let it handle the sharding, the scaling, like the multiple instances of your database across different regions of the world so that when one person interacts with it and updates it, another person from a different region is going to interact with a separate database but link together with something like all of this stuff that I'm talking about is complex as hell when you start really diving into it. Because again, like having a centralized database, that's easy. You're contacting that database from anywhere in the world and it's changing stuff like that. When you have 
a distributed database all across the world so that your customers in Japan can have the same response time as your customers in Canada, that gets extraordinarily complicated because a change in your database in Japan has to be reflected almost instantaneously in Canada, right? So that a Canadian that's changing the same thing or looking at the same thing will see the same uh, result of that change. Again, it gets complicated. That's why these services like Firebase, Superbase, PlanetScale, DynamoDB, which is an AWS version of it, are becoming more popular and are the thing I would reach for in this kind of Svelte kit uh, Nuxt Nuxt or Next environment. Again, it's one less thing to manage. You're not managing another server with a database, but you're also not managing the scaling aspect and the security aspect to a certain degree of your database. The other really cool thing about PlanetScale, and I want to do a whole episode on this because it's a damn cool service, uh, is the fact that you can actually have branches in your database. So you can try different schemas at the same time and see which one's better. You can have like an A-B testing schema. You can uh, you can try a schema for one for one version of your site and a different schema for another version of your site. And then when you like one, you can kind of merge them in and it'll do that live. Like, so you don't have to actually take your database down. It'll merge it while your database is still up. Like it's, it's a crazy service, uh, with a very affordable, very affordable price. And in fact, a really generous free tier as well, which a lot, most of these services have, um, and it, it, it's no, like it, it's a SQL service as well, which I, I prefer now. Like I don't do as much Mongo as I used to because I think that relational databases are, it's just the, the industry standard. Like SQL is just the industry standard. It's just a lot easier to, to work with when you have multiple different, different, um, collections, right? Like if you have a user collection and a post collection and when they're, when a user, has a bunch of posts and you have that relationship to manage. It's a lot easier to manage inside of a relational database rather than a, a page, like a, a, a database like Mongo, which is not relational. You actually have to manage the relations yourself in that database. Like you have to manually put in relations every time. So it, it can get kind of hectic. I don't want to dive too deep into that because again, I do want to have a whole separate database episode since I've been diving into it a little bit more. Um, but regardless, just know that there's managed database services out there that are very affordable. And like I said, I've used Planet Scale recently for that Solarians project. It was a crazy good experience. Um, and I didn't have to spin up any servers. No server infrastructure work was done on my part. Everything was handled by Vercel and Planet Scale. And uh, it was it was one of those moments where I was like, when I was finished, and I was like, okay, what do I do next? And I realized, wait, I haven't opened up a cPanel and I haven't opened up any sort of terminal to access the database. And I did it in half the time or even like a 10th of the time that I would do it like two years ago where I was like, okay, I need to write an episode about this. Like <laughs> I need to talk about this with people because things have changed Two like serverless two years ago was not on the level that it is today. It's, it's crazy how it's evolved to a degree where it's almost like the back of your mind. You can write backend functions without spinning up a server. Uh, this has been, uh, been an eye-opening experience for sure. Um, I definitely feel myself settling back down into my servered world though, um, for sure until I, until I have a reason to use, uh, some serverless stuff. I will say uh, in terms of your whole load balancing thing and all that, I've set up one load balancer once from scratch ish. Um, and, uh, it was really bad. It was really annoying. So, um, I, 
I mean, I don't know. We're not going to like out the company or anything, but uh, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully newer load balances are easier. And hopefully I was just uh, overthinking it and it wasn't as crazy. But uh, to me, the commands meant absolutely nothing. I was typing in like gibberish, more or less, uh, it felt like. And uh, it was a bit of a disaster. So, I mean, I got it to work. That's good with a lot of help. And, uh, you know, I don't. So having somebody manage at least that part of it is uh, working out. And, and what's interesting about all this stuff, serverless and the managed database options you're talking about, Mike, and all the rest of it is that what we're slowly doing is we're like website creation is, is getting so complex. We have credit cards to process and di- user data to store and logging people in and ad- adhering to different laws and this and that. It's it's like there's two like like just the just the credit card management part. The processing and holding the card number, if need be, this and that is 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 really like a job even of itself. And and we're we're starting to sort of almost like as the industry as a whole is sort of sort of outsourcing it to different parts of the industry where it's like these people deal with all the all the transactions and these people deal with the shipping labels and these people deal with the databases and these people deal with this. And so we're becoming the driver of the car. We're not becoming the engineer, the designer or the mechanic of the car, if you will. Um, which is, that's exactly it. You, you, I think you nailed it right there. Boom. So like, uh, yeah. So, uh, it, it's interesting to see this type of stuff. You know, I am stuck in my ways to an extent, but, um, you know, I, I do hate maintaining servers. I don't mind setting them up and playing with them, but I don't like maintaining them, uh, especially in production. So, uh, maybe I will have my, have my thoughts changed at a later date. Uh, but I think that that really concludes it. I've asked tons of questions. I'm sure I'll have more. Mike wants to cover more of these more specific topics in future episodes. And I'm sure this will come up once again, probably with uh, some sort of disaster that I tried to spin up some sort of serverless thing and uh, Google stopped working somehow. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. But uh, if you're interested in episodes like this and episodes like I just mentioned like that in the future, um, please come check us out on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, the things. And thank you to our current $3 tier patrons. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com. DL Ford from dlford.io. Bip Hashdash from Nineblock Media on nineblockmedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se. And Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. Please leave a comment or review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And we are signing off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off.